good job, guys. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning that you've given to us. Lord, that we can wake up early and we can sing our hearts out to you. Father, we welcome you into this place this morning, and we give you all of our worship and our praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a seat. Well, we are in week two of our series, uh, I Am Man. And this series coincides with the fall campaign, which starts next Sunday. Not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday, the 28th. Uh, Ted will be doing a uh, seven-week series on the same basic topic, but looking at it from both a male and a female perspective. It's called Images Everything. Um, if you are not in a small group, and this doesn't count as your small group, if you're not in a small group, you need to get in one because the best way to go through the fall campaign is in a small group, go to the services, hear the sermons. You're going to study the same material in your small group. And uh, there's some uh, DVD teaching that you're going to watch. Uh, and I really recommend you do this. I, I feel like this campaign is probably the most important one we've ever done as a church because it deals with this issue of who we are in Christ. What does it mean to be a man in Christ? What does it mean to be a woman in Christ? The women's ministry is doing a series that coincides with what we're doing right now in this room on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, I really want you to be involved in that. So if you're not in a small group, get in one. Uh, and they'll be talking about that this Sunday, and you can do it online or you can do it Sunday in the great room. Uh, we'll help you get in a small group. So we're in second week. Um, I had asked the guys to uh, play a song and it's the old hymn, Ferris Lord Jesus. And um, as you can see, they didn't play that song. Um, it just shows how much clout I have. But I wanted to play that song because we're, we're talking about this issue of manhood. What does it mean to be a man? And last week I told you what we're going to be doing over the next weeks is looking at the perfect man, Jesus Christ. And that old song, the old hymn, Ferris Lord Jesus, talks about... Comparing him to the stars, comparing him to the moon and brightness, comparing him to everything in the world, and he is fairest above all. And it reminded me of the, the old, uh, what is it, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? You know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? You know, who is the fairest out there? Uh, now, we don't typically use the term fair when we refer to each other as men. Well, you look fair today. Uh, you're the fairest of them all. We probably slap each other. But who who is the Fairest. Who's the greatest representation of manhood out there? I was ran a little video uh, before we started of just this collage of movie stars over the years, and you know we look to movie stars, we look to athletics, we look to all kinds of individuals to say that's the epitome of manhood. Um, that's a man. Uh, that's not a man. Uh, and, and so we have these images in our mind of what we think manhood really looks like. But what I want us to do over the next weeks is explore Jesus Christ as man. Now, this is going to be a stretch for some of us. Because when we think about Jesus, what we picture typically are the, the really bad stereotypes of Jesus in the movies. You know, the long hair, blue eyes, light-colored skin, you know, really kind of effeminate. And we just have these really bad images of Jesus. It's either that or, well, he's God. You know, he got, he got cut some slack. You know, he didn't really get tempted. He didn't really struggle with the same things I struggle with. 
But what I want you to do over the next weeks is begin to think about Jesus as a man. 100% man. Yes, he was also 100% God, but that does not diminish the fact that he was 100% man. Now, this is going to be a stretch because what I want you to begin to think, and this may seem sacrilegious to you, it may seem like heresy, but think about Jesus. If he was 100% man, that means he had everything that you have. Same level of testosterone, same hormones. I mean, he had everything you had. So that means he, he went through everything you and I go through, but we're told, yet without sin. It doesn't diminish the fact that he had the same drives, the same ambitions. Now think about this. Here's Jesus, late 20s, right before his ministry starts. He's walking through Galilee, maybe Nazareth. And up the dirt sidewalk comes a really beautiful girl. Do you think Jesus felt nothing? Did Jesus, was he just kind of like in a zone? You know, doesn't even know she's there. Doesn't even know she exists. Doesn't even acknowledge that she's beautiful. I want you to wrestle with the fact that Jesus was a man. We have so taken that away from him. And the fact that he's God is so important, and I don't want to diminish that. But I can't relate if I can't see him as a man. And all the scriptures that say he was tempted as I am don't make any sense if I don't grasp the fact that he was a man. And that's the reason I want to look at his life. I want to look at who Jesus was, what he struggled with, what his characteristics were like, and how he handled relationships. Because Jesus had relationships. I don't mean relationships with women, but he had relationships around him. He did interface with women. He interfaced with men. He interfaced with children. How did he exist in the world? And how did he reflect the image of God? That's what this series is all about. That's what the fall campaign's all about. It's reflecting the image of God to the world around us. We looked at this passage last week, and we're going to go back to it practically every week. And it's Genesis 127. It's the creation account. And it says simply, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is what Ted's whole sermon series is going to kind of come out of, is this Genesis account. God created you and I in his image. We want to wrestle with what does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? 1 Corinthians, we looked at this as well. Man is the image and glory of God. This particular verse is talking about man as male. Earlier in the Genesis account, man means mankind. That's why it separates out and says male and female. This is a verse about men, you and me. And it says we are the image and glory of God. Now last week we looked at what happened. Something happened. It's called the fall. But we were, prior to the fall, made to be the image bearers of God. So when God made Adam Adam and Eve and put them in the garden with the whole idea that they were going to procreate, they were going to have children, and those children would be what? Image bearers of God. Prior to the fall, it was God's plan. That's what God wanted to have done. We were made to reflect him. Now, when you reflect something, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but when you stand in front of a mirror, you reflect, it reflects you. It reflects your image. 
So when we reflect God to the world around us, we are bringing him glory because people see his image in us. At least that was the plan. That was the goal. That was the objective. Reflecting him. But the fall changed that, didn't it? The fall introduced something into the equation and made it, makes it really difficult for you and I to reflect his glory to the world around us. And we end up doing something else. We end up distorting it. The, the, the image of God, when somebody looks at you now and they look at me, what they see is a distorted image of God because it's marred by sin. It's a lot like this, this funhouse mirror over here. If you took that glass out and you straightened it out, it would be perfect in terms of its reflective ability. But right now, it's got curves in it. It's distorted. And so the image it reflects, if you come up and stand in front of this, your image will not look right. For some of you, it may look better. Um, But it will not look right. It will not look like you really look like. It's a distortion. And see, that's what's happened because of the fall, is you and I reflect a distorted view of God. We still have the essence of God within us. Every man and woman does, but it's distorted. It's not clear. And so people look at us and they go, hmm, if that's what God's like, I'm not interested. You know where I think we see this a lot in our, in our world is our kids really struggle with what God looks like. Why? Because of us. Uh, you know, my wife the other night asked me to have a conversation with my 14-year-old son. Um, and I've told my kids for years, you know, if, if you've probably said this, if mama ain't happy, daddy's not happy. And she wasn't happy because he had smarted off to her. And, um, and it was over the issue of music. Now, that, you know, this is like stepping back in time because I had these conversations with my dad over music. Um, it just happened to be a different brand of music. But my son tends to like to listen to, and I know you're going to think this is horrible, but he, he likes to listen to rap music. I hate rap music. I hate everything about rap music. It's not even music. It's an oxymoron. But my son, he likes it. Well, we've told him, you know, there's a lot of lyrics in there that are not appropriate. And most of the, the artists that I know, know of or see don't really reflect Christ. So I'd rather you not listen to it. Well, he... In the kitchen, she walks in, he's listening, he's cleaning the kitchen, listening to rap music, and she goes, I want you to turn that off. No. And she goes, no, I really want you to turn that off. There's nothing wrong with it, Mom. She goes, I don't like the lyrics. He goes, the lyrics are fine, there's nothing wrong with the lyrics. So they went back and forth, back and forth, he didn't respect her. Second mistake. She goes in and she gets on the internet, pulls up the song, prints out the lyrics, hands them to me and says, go talk to your son. I, haven't even, I don't even know this conversation has taken place. I just hand this sheet of paper. And I look at this sheet of paper, and it's got words on there that I haven't heard, heard in a while. Um, except the last time I maybe slammed my finger in the door. But, um, so I call my son in, and I'm, I'm, I'm immediately hot. I mean, I'm hot because she's not happy. And I know what that means. I'm not going to be happy. So I call him in. I said, uh, tell me what just happened. He goes, well, I was cleaning the kitchen. You know, okay, you get your brownie point. What, 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 what transpired here? And he kind of gives his version of the story. And I said, so why didn't you turn the music off? There's nothing wrong with the music. And I said, you know what? Let me read you the lyrics. And his eyes just got like deer in the headlights. So I read them, and I put a whole lot of emphasis on all the right words. 
And I said, so you don't see anything wrong with this? And he goes, I didn't know it said that. And I said, well, that's even worse, that you listen to it and you're not even discerning enough to know what's in the, the song. Well, then he starts to argue with me, and I lost it. And I, I said, you know, your attitude sucks. And I said it again. And then I said it a third time. And I just hammered him. And I talked about this and I talked about that. You know, I just let him have it. And later my wife asked me, so what did you say to him? And I told her and she goes, well, that's not exactly what I had in mind. Um, <laughs> then you should have talked to him. Um, but, you know, afterwards I had to sit back and reflect that didn't handle it exactly the right way. Had to go back to my son. Had to apologize to my son. But see, in those occasions, what my son sees is a distorted image of God. And at 14 years old, he's going to build, if I keep that kind of thing up, if I don't correct it, he will begin to see that, hmm, if that's the way my dad is, maybe that's the way my heavenly father is. Abusive. I didn't slap him, I didn't hit him, but, you know, words hurt just as much as anything. We distort the image of God, guys. And we've got to really start taking a a look at how we do it and when we do it. And it's usually pretty subtle. And if we're not careful, we blow through it. We don't even know we did it. And we think we did right and we really did wrong. We did damage. We did harm. And we looked at that last week. So we distort the image of God. We twist it. We, We just mar it. And here's God, you know. He wants people around the world to see his glory. And two of the ways God has chosen, at least in scripture that I've seen, are his creation and us. The world around us. But you know what people see in the world around us because of the fall? They see a creation that is marred. It is flawed. It doesn't operate the way it was supposed to operate when he created it. And so you have hurricanes, and you have tsunamis, and you have forest fires, and you have all kinds of stuff happening around us. And people look at creation, and rather than it reflecting him perfectly, it is a marred view of God. And then so are we. And so God loses glory. And God doesn't like to lose glory. You know, we, we do... We do show God in little bits and pieces, but it is not clear enough. It's not pure enough. It's like this mirror. It's distorted. And so we've got to really take a a step back, look at our lives and say, am I really reflecting the image of God or am I reflecting a distorted image? When my kids look at me, when my coworkers look at me, when my girlfriend, my, my wife looks at me, when my friends look at me, my neighbors look at me, do they really see a pure reflection of God or do they see a twisted, distorted view of God? You know, and sometimes we even like the way we distort the image of God. But here's the problem. The world around us more and more, I think increasingly more, is looking for answers, and they're looking, they want to know who God is. And, and the main source they have is you and I. And they're looking around, and they, they just aren't seeing, they're, they're not seeing a clear enough picture. And so we end up like Pluto in front of the, the mirrors. We're having a great time. We kind of like the distorted view of God. I like my version. I like the way I look. And God's saying, no, that's not quite right. That's not quite right. We don't look like what we're supposed to. Our image is distorted, and God wants to see a change. 
we don't want to get to the point, guys, where what we think what we see is really reality. And that's why it's important for us to step back, take a look at Jesus Christ, and see that's reality. Um, I don't want us looking at movie stars. I don't want us looking at Billy Graham. I don't want us looking at anybody other than Jesus Christ because he is the essence of pure, unadulterated manhood. So we're going to look at him. So we have all sinned. Not a guy in the room who hasn't. Uh, There's not a guy in the room who won't, probably today. Hopefully not while you're sitting here. But it will happen. We have all sinned. Secondly, we've inherited Adam's sin nature. We have him to thank for it. You know, let's not beat him up too bad because if we had been there, it probably would have happened sooner. Uh, But it was going to happen, all right? But we inherited his sin nature. We sinned in Adam. In other words, when Adam sinned, we took part in that. Uh, we, We vicariously take part in what he did. And it then comes to us through inheritance. Uh, It's passed down to us. But we also sin because he sinned. So it's it's kind of a double whammy on us. We get to inherit everything that he did, but we also have our own sins. So bottom line is, this is what we got from Adam. This is what happened because of the fall. So here's the bottom line. We got sin in our gene pool. Um, It ain't a pretty picture. It's all around us. And not just you and me, but every man, every woman that lives is full of sin, is prone to sin, has a sin nature. That's why we have wars. That's why we have people down in Houston and Galveston who stayed behind. And probably the main reason they stayed behind, many of them, is to loot the homes that are left behind. Um, You know, you, you see that stuff and you think, what are people thinking? It's a sin nature. It's because of the fall. Look over at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the generations of Adam. Okay, we're skipping ahead from chapter 1, and we're looking at the generations of Adam. We're not going to read this entire thing. It goes through a whole litany of people that I don't want to try to say many of their names. We're really just going to look at a couple of verses. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 says, In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Okay, that's just going back to Genesis 1.27. Made in the likeness of God, made in the image of God, male and female. So not, not, not too bad right now. So we were made in God's likeness. Okay, that's pre-fall, made in God's likeness. Then it goes on in verse 2. He created the male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. Again, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Created them male and female, he blessed them. So mankind was blessed by God. They were blessed with his, his presence. They were blessed with perfect communion with him. They were blessed with a great place to live. They had all kinds of blessings. No sin. Um, all the food they could eat. Even their work was pleasurable. Can you imagine that? They enjoyed work. They had to work. It was pre-fall. Work is not a part of the fall. It was given before the fall. But then something happened. Again, the fall Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son. And now this is the important part. Look at what it says. A son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. Now he had already had two other sons. Who were they? Cain and Abel. We saw what happened to them. One killed the other out of jealousy. So this doesn't just refer to Seth. 
It really refers to all the generations, all the offspring of Adam and Eve, where once they sinned, now when men were born and women were born, they were in the likeness of their mother and father, in the likeness of Adam. Something changed. Now we're born according to the likeness of Adam, with a sin nature, with a fallen nature. So something changed our ability to reflect the image of God. It was the introduction of sin. As soon as sin came into the picture, as sin always does, sin mars everything. Sin mars everything. It, it just messes up the water. It, it messes up our gene pool. It, it, it's totally screwed up the way things were supposed to be. So Adam's offspring would now bear his image. And see, we're walking around now as, in mankind in general, walking around as Adam's offspring. Adam's, we're bearing Adam's image. What is that image? Well, it's got all kinds of things attached to it. It's got all kinds of bad things attached to it. And we'll talk about that in a second. We'll flip over to, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 47 through 49. This is an interesting passage because Paul is teaching about the resurrection of the body. There's this big debate about the resurrection. What happens to the body? What kind of body will we have? What will it look like? Uh, I don't tend to worry about that. I just hope it's better than the one I have. But they were really concerned about the resurrection of the body. So Paul goes into some teaching about it. And they ask him a question. What kind of body will we have in the resurrection? Will it look like this one? Will, it be, will I be young? Will I be old? Will I be overweight? Will I be thin? Will I look like I did when I was 20? What, what kind of body will we have? And so Paul is trying to let them know that you're going to get a new body. It's going to be different. It's not going to be the same as what you have. And he goes into all kinds of analogies about that. It won't be like your earthly body, okay? It, I'm not going to be up in heaven with this earthly body. It will be different. It will be a body, but it will be different than this one. And then he compares Adam with Jesus, and that's the main point I want to look at. As he goes back, all the way back to Adam, look at what he says in verses 47 through 49. He says, the first man, Adam, is from the earth. That really means dust of the earth. It goes all the way back again to the Genesis account of creation. He is made from the earth. God formed man out of the dust of the earth. So he's from the earth or earthy. The second man is from heaven. The second man is Jesus. As is the earthy, Adam, so also are those who are earthy, us. We're like him. We have the same body. We have the same sin nature. We have everything Adam had. As is the heavenly, Jesus, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, Adam, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, he's talking about the resurrection, but I also believe that he is also inferring to Christians that we can bear the image of the heavenly now, and we should. We don't have to wait to the resurrection. Now, my body's not going to change. It's just going to get older. But I can still bear the image of God and bear the image of the heavenly Jesus Christ here on this earth. But the key point is that you and I are now bearing the image of Adam. We're earthy. We're of this earth. We, we are covered with the dirt of this earth, so to speak, the sin of this earth. So we have Adam's sin nature. That word bear means to literally wear. We wear his image. So when people look at you and I now, even as believers oftentimes, what they see is Adam. They don't see Jesus. They don't see God. 
because we're wearing his image and we see it flawed, we see it marred, we see a bad reflection of the original, okay? And that's real important to understand. We are by nature like Adam and because he sinned, we are born sinners. We're born sinners. We inherit his guilt. Uh, We're guilty. We stand condemned. Romans tells us that. We stand condemned. There's nobody that's not condemned and guilty before God because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Isn't that an interesting passage? If you look at it in the light of everything we've looked at this morning, all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. What did the Corinthians passage say? We are the image and glory of God. But see, because of sin, we fall short of that glory. We don't reflect his glory. We also share in Adam's condemnation. And with that, death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. If we don't accept Christ, if we don't accept the gift of Jesus Christ. So we get all of this from Adam. But you know what? The exciting part is, and who we're going to be looking at over the next weeks is going to be the new Adam. Uh, There's a new and improved Adam that we can now look at. Because guess what? God still expects me and you to reflect his image. When Adam sinned, he didn't go, well, I guess I screwed that up. Eh, There go my expectations. Um, No, God still wants you and I to reflect his image. He's even made it possible for us to do so in spite of sin. But how? How are you and I supposed to pull that off when we still have a sin nature? When we're still prone to sin? How do we pull this off? How do we live so that we don't distort the image of God to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our wives? How do we do that? Well, God sent Adam version 2.0. Adam version 2.0, and I'm so glad he did. See, he didn't didn't send just a kind of an improved version. He sent a totally new version, a new version of Adam. Adam. Romans 5, the verses we looked at earlier, says, Adam is a type of him who is to come. He's a type. He's not the perfect, but he's just a type. See, Adam was a prototype. A prototype. The word proto means the earliest form of something to come. You build a prototype, it usually doesn't work very well. It's just kind of a working model. It has flaws, it doesn't function right, it doesn't... But it's kind of what you hope the future will look like. That's what Adam was. He's a prototype. Adam was disobedient, wasn't he? Because of of his wife and because he didn't listen to God and because he was standing right next to her when the the enemy came and tempted and he had been given the, the command of God not to eat of that tree. He didn't speak up. He just sat there like a lump on a log and his wife took the fruit, gave it to him. He ate of it. Hey, this is great. Next thing we know, here we are. Sin. He was disobedient. He was self-centered. And we're cursed for that as men to this day. It's all about us. We're narcissistic. The world revolves around us. It's, it's what's in it for me. And he was a lousy leader. He couldn't lead his wife. He couldn't lead his kids. He was just, he was a prototype. He was a flawed type of what was to come. But Jesus is the archetype. He's, he's different. That word arts the, means chief or principal. He's the quintessential essence of what it means to be a man. He's the working model of what God intended. He had a prototype, and then here comes Jesus. 
He's the principal idea of what it means to be a man. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus, Jesus pulled it off. Even as 100% man, he pulled it off. What Adam lacked, Jesus provided. See, Adam didn't have the capacity to make this work. But Jesus does, and he gives it to you and I. What Adam passed down, guess what Jesus paid for? All that guilt, all that condemnation? Jesus Christ paid it off at the cross. So we don't have to live under that guilt and condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those of us in Christ. Jesus took care of it. He is the perfect picture of what a man should be. Romans 8.3 says this, What the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, what we got from Adam, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. Sinful man. To be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. He came just like you and I, minus the sin. He had every opportunity to sin, but he didn't do it. He is the perfect picture of what Adam was supposed to be. And he is the representation for you and I of what we're supposed to be, even on this earth, not just in heaven. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held on to like a dog with a bone, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus Christ was made in human likeness, born as a baby, spent nine months in his mother's womb, just like you and I did. He grew up as a child. He grew up as a young man, a boy, became a man. He took on human likeness. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood. we got to get that through our heads. Being born in human form, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. See, Jesus had to come as a man and be the perfect Adam, be the perfect man. Again, Hebrews verse 17, chapter 2, therefore it was necessary, it was required for Jesus to be in every respect like us. Do you see that? In every respect like us. Not some glorified, deified version that, you know, he just kind of was a drone that went through life and nothing tempted him and nothing bothered him and he could walk by a scantily clad woman, and it just nothing registered on his radar. See, I thought my dad was like that for years. I thought my dad had no struggles with, like, immorality, no struggles with his eyes, and no struggles with... And it wasn't until I grew up and had the guts to even ask my dad and finally hear from him that, you know what? Yeah, I struggle with that. We all struggle with it. Now, Jesus was not tempted to take it to the next step like you and I are. But it says he was made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. If he didn't feel what we feel, if he didn't know what we go through, how could he be a merciful high priest? If he couldn't feel the pain. See, one of the ways I relate to my kids is I know their pain. When my son comes to me and he is really struggling with school and he's struggling with homework, I can sit there and say, man, I went through the same thing. I hated homework. I hated going to school. I hated class. I can relate. I know what you're going through. But hang in there. I know what comes out the other end. And I also know what happens if you don't hang in there and you don't want to go there. See, Jesus can relate to what you and I go through. I am in no way saying Jesus was on the edge of sin at all times. He wasn't. 
he was sinless. But Jesus was made like you and I. We have a new standard for manhood. A new standard for manhood. And it's Jesus Christ himself. And I hope if you come back every week over the next few weeks, that'll be driven home that he is our standard. Nobody else but him. He's the second Adam. He is the perfect Adam. And he has this new example that we can follow. Uh, The example of Jesus Christ as a man. What he did as a man, that's what I want to look at. His life, his death, his resurrection all provide us with what we need to pull off what we're called to do. See, we focus on his resurrection, which is great. But if he had not come and lived as a man, if he had not lived the life he lived, his death and resurrection would have meant nothing. So don't skip over his life. Don't skip over those years that he spent on this earth walking among men. Many, most of those years spent in obscurity, not in ministry. We've got to look at his life. We've got to look at who he was. He is our example. I love this passage in Ephesians. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, put on the new man who has been created in God's image. All the way back to Genesis 1, verse 27. The new man is now created in God's image, in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth, the truth of salvation in Christ alone. Put on the new man, that new man that's available through Jesus Christ, that when it says created in God's image, in the, in the Greek it really means according to God, according to his likeness, similar to him, bearing his likeness, looking like God. That's the way we can appear to the world around us now as believers in Christ. Even though we have a sin nature, we can reflect God because we can put on the new man. So we're going to be talking about being imitators of Christ. Paul said this, and it always blows me away when I read it, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Man, that's a scary thing to say to somebody. It's a scary thing to say to your kids. Hey, act like me. You know, I've told you before, my wife's favorite phrase is what parents do in moderation, children do to excess. And she always throws it in my face. Because what I do, my kids emulate, but they take it to extremes. That wouldn't be bad if they emulated the right things. But they do the wrong things. They pick all my bad qualities. If I'm imitating Christ, I could say this to my kids, act like me, act like me, imitate me. How about this passage? Follow God's example, same phrase, imitate me in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. And God was pleased because that sacrifice was like sweet perfume to him. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Imitate God and follow Christ's example because he did it perfectly. But don't let this other stuff run your life. Don't let it be the picture people see. The word there for imitate is mimites. It means to mimic, to mime. You ever had somebody mimic you? usually makes us mad. My daughter does it to me sometimes, driving in the car. I'll be driving along and I'll look over and she's doing everything I do. And it just, for some reason, drives me crazy. You know, you change your hand, she changes your hand. You scratch your face, she's, I just, stop it. 
But in reality, we should want our kids to mimic us, mime us, look, do what we do. That's what the word means. So here's my goal over the next weeks, that you will learn to imitate Christ, that I will learn to imitate Christ and become these things. We're going to look at all of these. A man of excellence. Jesus did all things well. He was a man of humility. I want to be a man of humility. I want to do all things well and then not want applause because I did. See, humility doesn't need a cheer when it does the right thing. A man of passions, the right kind of passions, the things God is passionate for, not what I'm passionate for, which tend to be the wrong things oftentimes. A man who respects women doesn't just use them and abuse them. Jesus was. I want to be a man of fearlessness in the face of man, anything they say to me or could do to me, just like Jesus was. He was fearless. I want to be a man of selflessness, not selfishness. I want to give my life away, not get. I want to be a man of the spirit, not of the flesh. Increasingly more, I want to live in the spirit and not in my flesh. And then I want to be a man of gentleness. That doesn't go well in our society, but we need it. Our families need it. Our world needs it. Our children need it. This church needs it. Men of gentleness, not weakness, but gentleness, strength under control, and men of integrity. What you say, you do. You follow through. You're always, you can be counted on to do the right thing. That's Jesus. And we're going to look at his life and see how he lived that out. Well, here's what we're going to do for our prayer time. Would you just bow with me? I want you to do something. I want you to think of one thing, one area of your life that does not reflect God accurately. It could be your speech, it could be your thought life, it could be an addiction or a bad habit you've got, it could be the way you treat your wife or your kids, it could be the way you perform at the office, maybe it's your language you use around other people when you're not at church. Think of one area of your life that you know does not reflect God clearly. And I want you to confess that to him right now, just quietly there where you're seated, confess that to him, that one area. Once you've confessed it, ask him to remove it or transform it so that you can reflect his image. Now ask the Father to help you be an imitator, a mimic of Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you this morning and we confess to you that we are men who are flawed, we fail. We make mistakes, we struggle with our flesh, we struggle with our sin nature, 
But Father, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to reflect your glory like you intended for us to do from day one. But Father, it's going to take us looking to your Son and not looking to the world. It means we got to figure out who Jesus was, how he lived, what made his life different, and how we can live that same life, that we might be truly imitators of him in every area of our lives. Father, I pray that you would raise up in this room men, men made after the image of Christ that reflect the glory of God in everything we say, in everything we do, in every one of our relationships, in the workplace, at home, in our leisure, every time we open our eyes, every time we walk out the door, we are the walking image of the holy God that created us. Father, thank you for the second Adam. Thank you that you didn't leave us just like the first Adam, but that you provided a way to get our lives right. And if there's any man, Father, in this room who has not placed his faith in Jesus Christ, who's not come to grips with the fact that he is a sinner who is condemned, who will spend eternity apart from you, in a very real place called hell, if he has not come to grips with that and he thinks that he can gain access to heaven through his good works, open his eyes, help him to see that the only way he can be a man, a true man, a man of God, is by placing his faith in Jesus Christ. Let it happen today. Let it happen today. Father, we give you this day. We give you this study. We give you this series. We give you our lives. We give you everything we have. And we ask that you would transform us into the likeness of your son with each passing breath. And Father, we just thank you that that's what you're about. You're faithful. You're patient. But you're persistent. And you're calling us to Christ's likeness. Thank you for that. Bless our day so that we might be a blessing to others. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, and our example. Amen.